Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. If Acts 2 is the birth of the church, then Romans 8 is the gestation period. It's when we're pregnant with waiting. And it offers us a broader picture than just the church that we celebrate. When I think of church, and when I hear these passages, or even when I think of the word church, the first thing that comes to my mind isn't that kid song, I am the church, you are the church. It isn't the thing that we learned, here's the church, here's the steeple. I think back to a particular place and time to a church that is located and fixed. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not the completion of what the church is. Think for a moment about all the churches that are meeting right now that are worshiping, that are praying, that are singing, that are listening to the word of God. And think about all the churches that haven't yet entered into our time zone, that will meet later in the day as the sun continues to go west. Or think about all the churches in the world that have already met and are maybe even halfway through their sleep. Or maybe you're thinking of a church that might have gotten more than a couple minutes of fame yesterday if you woke up early enough. St. George's Chapel, where a wedding was scheduled and church broke out, according to those who heard Bishop Michael Curry's sermon at the wedding of Harry and Meghan. It was a sermon about love, but all of my theological nerd friends say that it was a sermon about hope. I think it's a sermon about everything in between. Bishop Curry said these words, Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial. And in so doing becomes redemptive, and that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives. And it can change this world. And if you don't believe me, just stop and think or imagine. Vision and dream, think and imagine. 
a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is the way. When love is the way, there is no child that will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will be history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and our shields down by the riverside and study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room, plenty good room for all God's children. Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other well, like we are actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all. And we are brothers and sisters and children of God. My brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven and a new earth and a new world and a new human family. But like so many really, really good wedding homilies and wedding sermons, after the party is over, after the guests have left, and after the reality of life sets in, what do two people who find themselves newly married do when they're starting to share life together and realize that this other person really drives me crazy? What happens when the hope and love of a wedding are met with the reality that maybe I'm not cut out for this? And if you've lived in any kind of human relationship, you know that it's easy to move from infatuation to infuriation in no time at all. With friends, with family members, with kids, with parents. Thanks, Dad. But there are other cases when you ask yourselves, maybe I'm not cut out for this at all. This week, our nation has seen the 22nd school shooting in the year 2018. Maybe you say, I don't know if I can handle this. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. And that's when the Spirit intercedes with words too deep for us, as Scripture says, when all of creation groans. In this holistic view of the world, when we lay aside our individual preferences or conflicts, when we don't know what to say in the midst of tragedy or chaos, the Spirit intercedes with groans too deep for words. And we find that that hope is hinged upon that word that we don't talk about in the church a lot, lament. Because without lament, without pain, and without anxiety to draw us inward, there is no writing of Paul in Romans chapter 8, to draw us outward until we realize what hope is at Pentecost. And being a child of God does not mean freedom from suffering. Christ was God's son, and Christ died and suffered. But being a child of God means that we do not suffer alone, and it means that we do not suffer needlessly, but we hope for something deeper. Hope as Paul writes in other texts, is foolish because it's belief against all belief. Desmond Tutu says that hope is being able to see that there is light despite the darkness all around us. Hope is born in that place where we're disconnected 
from the way things are and the way things should be. Hope keeps us from falling into despair or even apathetic acceptance. Hope, especially rooted in God's love, is not acquiescence where we just give over and say, things will get better eventually. It is what it is, and we have to wait it out. But hope offers us a better future. Living in the Spirit and being inspired to work together. Inspired in literally means in the Spirit. And we have seen those first fruits of Jesus Christ being born in the church. His love, his forgiveness, his welcome, and offering us grace in the glimpse of a kingdom that is to come. It's a now, but it's a not yet. It's moaning and groaning and waiting while the church is being born. What does it mean to groan in the spirit, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8? Luke Powery, the chaplain at Duke Chapel, says what it means to groan. Creation groans in ecological crisis. Our nation groans in racial and socioeconomic justice. Our world groans under extremism and growing inequity between the haves and the have-nots. And we ourselves groan inwardly because we are inextricably connected to this world. The groaning of the world and its suffering stalks us like the paparazzi, waiting to catch us at our weakest moments when we cannot move into the glory that God has for us. And we wait with the groan. But that groaning leads us to hope. Our tears create the pillow for the gospel of hope. Even when we don't know how to pray, we can know how to act when the Spirit intercedes with groans too deep for words. So what do we do with that hope in this world? What do we do with that hope as a church, as a congregation, as people of faith, when we step beyond ourselves and realize that we are part of something bigger? I think it comes down to how you answer this question. I'm going to ask it very tongue-in-cheek, but I'm going to ask it with all honesty and sincerity on Pentecost Sunday when we celebrate the church. Because it's a question that has come up in large parts of our society. And it's this, under what circumstance would you leave the church? What would be the final straw that made you say, you know what, I have no hope here. I have no future here. I have no place here. Could it be a bad sermon by the minister? Could it be the way in which you were no longer welcomed? Could it be because you took your marching orders from someone outside of a congregation who said they're really just a bunch of phonies and fakes? Could it be from others who say that the denomination and mainline Protestantism is dying in America and it's failing to live into its calling? Would it be that a church is too liberal or a church is too conservative? What would it take for you to leave the church? If the answer is death, then welcome to church. Because we are bound together. There are days that I'm not sure you've thought about it, but maybe you have. And yet something brings you back to this place, some kind of hope, some kind of dream, some kind of vision. Maybe that's the gift of Pentecost to us as the church, is that we can move along and move forward even though we're different or facing crisis. Maybe that's the miracle 
Maybe the church is more than a building or a steeple. Maybe it is the hope that we share through Jesus Christ that we are really capable of understanding, of hearing, of listening to one another. And this is, I think, is the biggest misconception of Pentecost because many people read the second chapter of Acts and think that the miracle is that everyone is able to speak in different languages. No, my friends, the real miracle of Pentecost is that for the first time, God's people were able to hear the good news of God in their own languages. They were able to listen to others who were different from them, and they were under, able to understand that God was with them. You can teach anyone to speak a language. You can train them to say the words and the consonants and the vowels and the symbols, but it's much harder to understand what someone is really saying when they're speaking a different language. Now, I don't know much Spanish, but I know one phrase, and I've come to know this phrase very well over the last year or so. And you've heard me a couple times talk about my newest sports obsession, and it's at risk of pushing too fast to ball to the side, those of you who've seen me obnoxiously in my Duke regalia. It's Atlanta United. Atlanta's major league soccer team. I'm even wearing my Atlanta United red Pentecost socks today because there's a game. That's how obnoxious I've become about yet another obsession. But it's a fascinating study for the league, and there are articles that are being written about this hometown team called Atlanta United that plays soccer in the New Mercedes-Benz Stadium and has sold out every game and is setting records. One of the most exciting things about this team is it's made up of a bunch of young guys, 19, 20, 22-year-olds, and a group of veterans that have been playing in various leagues. And these young guys come from South America, and they come for one reason. Miguel Amarone, our star player, quite possibly the MVP of the league, leads the league in assists and shots taken, and he's second in goal scored this season. But two years ago, he was a scrawny, skinny kid playing soccer in Argentina who grew up in Paraguay, told him, being told that he would have no place on the national team because he was too small. He lived in a two-bedroom apartment with his parents and slept in a bed with his mother at 17 years old. Until one day, Geraldo Tata Martino, the coach of Atlanta United, called him up on the phone and said the one phrase in Spanish that I've taken the time to memorize. Quiero contar contigo. It has no direct translation to the English language, but it means something along the lines of, I want to matter with you. I want to count with you. I want to make a difference with you. And all of a sudden, this scrawny, too small, 19-year-old kid found his way to the city of Atlanta to play major league soccer in a country and a town that he'd never been to. He's taking the lead by storm because someone told him, Kiro and Paul I to you. I want to make a difference with you. That's what the church should be saying to each other instead of looking for the ways in which we're divided. I want to make a difference with you. I want to matter with you. Kiro and Paul
Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.